Amen. Well, good morning again, church. Let's take our Bibles and go to John's Gospel, chapter 17 this morning. We're finishing up the Upper Room Discourse today with Christ's final charge to his disciples. The very next moment, Jesus is going to leave the Upper Room. He is going to uh, go across the Kidron Brook to the Garden of Gethsemane, and we'll be there next Sunday as he prays. And uh, right before he's betrayed and then to the cross and thankfully to the empty tomb uh, just a few days later. What an amazing journey it's been. While you're turning there, I want to just remind you of a couple things. First of all, uh, we are opening up a, a, a small missions trip opportunity this summer on June, I believe it's 24 and 25. It's a Friday and Saturday. It is a trip down to Daytona Beach, Florida where there's a new church being planted and we are going down to help them canvas their community, inviting them to church. We're going to have a lot of fun things on the trip as well. Uh, this is open on the Church Center app to register for. It would only be, uh, you can actually go and not miss work if you want to, but most of the missions opportunity will be on Friday during the day. So if you'd like to go with us, we're going to, our church is going to provide the, uh, the tracks, the pamphlets for the church, and then we're going to go help them put those out. It's a great family trip. We do have some beach activities and other things planned uh, for that 24 to 48 hour trip. Hope you can make it, and so get signed up on the Church Center app. Also, for all the small group leaders, uh, we have a, a brief lunch and meeting right after the service in the Spanish auditorium just to get you up to speed with uh, all the expectations and things that are coming for small groups that are starting in just a few weeks. Believe it or not, uh, we are three weeks away from Easter right now and three weeks from the start of our Spanish church right now. How many of you are excited about that? Man, it's great. And, of course... Um, Pray for Pastor Hector and join him over the next few weeks as we go out and canvas the community. He'll say some more about that uh, at the end of the service today. We have a lot going on today. we got baptisms coming up. And uh, I need to just shut up and preach so we can get it all done, okay? But get signed up for these things. Be there. And, uh, man, some exciting things happening at River City Baptist Church. And uh, let's, let's do our part and get involved with every possible thing we can get involved with in the coming weeks. <clears throat> John chapter 17, I want to begin my reading verse, uh, actually I'm going to read in verse 20. Let's skip to verse 20, I'll back up in a moment. But verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, meaning my disciples alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Amen. This is God's word. I want to preach today on this subject. Jesus is praying for you. Now in verse number 20, when Jesus says, I'm not just praying for these, but I'm also praying for those who will believe in me through their word. Well, who do you think he was talking about there? He was talking about all the people in a reverberating effect 
that would believe the gospel through the ministry of the apostles. Now, ultimately, that lands at you. Now, I don't know if there's anything I could more encouragingly say to you today than this. Jesus is praying for you. Now, I get messages nearly every week from people who tell me they're praying for me. What a blessing. Uh, There's a widow that I met years ago in Anderson, South Carolina, over 20 years ago. When my wife and I first started our ministry, we served there in South Carolina. There was a a dear old lady named Martha Mazzaferro. Her husband died uh, while we were there in Anderson. For 20 years, every Saturday night, that precious widow sends me an email telling me that she had just prayed for our services the next day. I have a friend in Macon, Georgia, Rusty Smith. He tells me every time we talk, Brian, I pray for you every single day. I look forward to messages from my mother on Sunday morning who that says, I prayed for your services. And many of you will say the same thing. I pray for you. I don't know what it does to you, but I know what it does to me when somebody says, I prayed for you. Isn't it a blessing to know that somebody cares enough about you to pray for you? And then it's like an extra added blessing when that person takes the time to actually tell you that they prayed for you. Because the truth of the matter is, not everybody that prays for you, you know that they prayed for you. So I'm thankful when I know that somebody prays for me. I can tell you, from John 17, one thing that I can definitively say to you today is that Jesus is praying for you. Right here and right now, the Son of God is praying for you. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse number 25 says this, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. Romans chapter 8 and verse 34. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, is risen again. Who is at the right hand of God making intercession for us? So get the picture. God the Father sitting on the throne. Jesus at his right hand. And a part of Jesus' ongoing work on your behalf before God is breathing prayer to the Father uh, on your behalf. How many of you are glad that you don't have to go through another human priest to get to God, but through Jesus Christ you have direct access to God, and even when you're not praying for yourself, Jesus is still praying for you. I read this this week, and this quote I want to share with you probably was the most impactful thing that I read this entire week outside of the text itself. Burkhoff in his systematic theology says this, it is a consoling thought that Christ is praying for us. Even when we are negligent in our own prayer life, Christ is presenting to the Father the spiritual needs which were not present in our minds in which we often neglect to include in our own prayers. And that he prays for protection. Watch this. He prays for protection against dangers of which we are not even conscious and against enemies which threaten us and we don't even notice them 
Is anybody else getting a blessing out of this this morning? What I'm trying to tell you is this. Even when you don't know what's going on, you don't even have enough conscience sense to even be aware of what you need, what dangers are around you, what snares would entrap you. Jesus knows it all. And even when you can't pray because you don't even know, he's out there praying for you. Boy, now that is a comforting thought this morning. Jesus is praying for you. Now, John chapter 17, the text breaks down into three parts. Now, I'm not going to preach it all to you because the one part is most for us this morning. If you're to look in verses 1 through 6, you would see Jesus praying for himself. Jesus is talking to the Father. He's talking about his glory. He's talking about the suffering that he's getting ready to go through. In fact, when Jesus addresses the Father, look what he says here. Jesus spoke these words, uh, uh, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. And while I'm not going to preach through this whole thing today because I wouldn't have time, let me just point out two things that Jesus does in verse number one that can be instructive for us in prayer. First of all, Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven. I got to tell you, I like the direction of his prayer. I like the fact that Jesus did not look uh, behind him, beside of him, around him, or even in front of him, but Jesus lifted up his eyes in a direction to God. Now, folks, listen, I don't know if there could be anything more helpful for you this morning than to realize you can live your life looking through the rearview mirror with all your guilts and all your failures and all your past, or you can spend your life looking side to side and all the circumstances that are around you today that are concerning you, that are worrying you, that are bothering you. In fact, you can even look ahead at the things that are in front of you that you don't even know about and let them bother you and bring you down. Or you can lift your eyes to heaven and you can fix your eyes on Jesus and take your problems to the only person who can actually solve them. Notice another thing that Jesus says in verse number one. I love this. Just look here. Father. Father, not only do you see the, the, the direction of his face looking at God, uh, you see the destination of his prayer is the Father. And I love this word. Just never get over this word. Never get over the simplicity of the word Father in prayer. In fact, over 100 times in the Bible, Jesus addresses God the Father as his Father. He calls him Father. In fact, one of the most obvious places in Matthew chapter number 6, where all through Matthew chapter number 6, he addresses the Father as Father. Now, folks, I want you to know, through Christ, according to the book of, I believe it's Galatians, he says we are joint heirs with Christ. Be, be, by believing in Christ, we become the sons of God. So in that same essence, through Jesus, you get to look to the Father and cry out to God as your Father. We look to heaven, we take our eyes off of what is around us, we put our eyes on Jesus, and then we are able to call him our Father. Isn't that a blessing this morning? So, Jesus prays for himself, verses 1 through 6. In verses 7, <clears throat> excuse me, verses 6 down through 19, Jesus prays for his immediate disciples. Now, this is important. Remember what we talked about last week. Jesus has just told them of, their, of the cancel culture that is going to crucify him. It's going to destroy them. Eleven out of twelve of them died a martyr's death. And so it was fitting that Jesus was praying for their own protection and for their own courage and for their faith. 
But then in verse 20, he expands it out. So verses 1 through 5, he prays for himself. Verses 6 through 19, he prays for his immediate disciples, the ones that are with him there. And then beginning in verse number 20 through the end of the chapter, he's going to pray for you, and he's going to pray for me. Now that's where we're going to spend our time today, on this thought that Jesus is praying for you. So, so think about this. Jesus is praying for you. Now, now, if Jesus is praying for you, then I want to know what is Jesus praying for. I want to know what is on Jesus' heart about me, and it also helps me to know what is important to him. So if Jesus is praying for me, whatever he's praying about must be important to him, right? And so when Jesus is praying for me, it helps me understand the things that are important to him. So Jesus prays for us for four different needs in our lives, okay? Number one, Jesus obviously here prays for our protection. He prays for our protection. Back up to verse number 15 when he says this, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Folks, i got to tell you, Jesus is praying for their protection in the midst of a world and culture that is anti-Jesus and anti-church. Now, this is what we talked about last Sunday. This is a cancel culture. It is a culture that hates Jesus, and it is a culture that hates those who follow Jesus. And yet, watch this. Jesus is praying for them, not that they would be taken out of the world, but that they would stay in the world and be protected from the influence of the world on us. Now, folks, listen, this is a high-octane prayer. i got to be honest with you. Our churches, sadly, today have become a bit of defensive rather than offensive. We want to protect ourselves, we want to protect our kids, we want to protect our, our, our homes and everything from everybody out there that can have an influence on us. But God does not say, take your kids away from the world, take yourself away from the world, isolate yourself in a church wall, in your padded pews, and scream about everything going on on the outside of the church building. No, Jesus says, stay in the world, just don't let the world get in you. Now, this is the high call of a Christian, which assumes a few things. It assumes, number one, that we are engaged in reaching the world. If we are out there in the world and the world is, 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 is antagonistic toward us, it should be obvious. We are making an attempt to reach the world. Number two, it means that there are Christians who should be and must be uh, risking their lives in a high-capacity way for the cause of the gospel. And it means that while you're doing that, while you're reaching the world with the gospel, it is possible to be consumed by the world you're trying to reach if you are not careful. This is why Jesus said to Peter in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, And the Lord said, to si- to, said Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith does not fail and when you are converted when you are changed you will strengthen the brothers what was he saying Peter you're going to be out there on the front lines you're going to be out there preaching the word of God I'm praying for you that it doesn't get to you that it doesn't stop you now church the sad reality is this prayer request is irrelevant for people that are not on the front line trying to reach people with the gospel Because the truth is, you don't have anything to be protected from. 
But when you are preaching the gospel and living the gospel in a culture that is against the gospel, there are going to be people that are going to try to pull you in every direction, slow you down, stop you, trip you up, and make you feel like a fool. It is in this context that we need God's protection on our lives. Look, I, I, my kids are in a private school. I, I don't make any apologies for that. I'm thankful for that. But, but i got to tell you one thing that I have noticed about private schools over the last multiple years. And I've been in Christian education for years now. Years. Myself teaching in Christian higher education. My children being involved in Christian education. I have no problem with Christian education. I think it's great. But let me tell you what it has not done. It has not put any kind of missionary fire into the hearts of the kids that are going to said Christian schools. What it is doing is is isolating us for the most part. It is separating us out from from a culture where we have no engagement, no heart, no fire. And I'm seeing kids graduate from Christian schools and even Christian colleges now with absolutely zero desire to preach Jesus to the nations. And folks, i got to tell you, there needs to be a resurrection of a a spirit of, of, of desire and passion and go in the hearts of people, us included, our kids included, to engage this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look, I want my kids to be protected. I do not want them to be worldlings, okay? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying there ought to be a heart for God that is put into them. And friend, you can homeschool them if you want to. You can Christian school them if you want to. But if that takes away the heart of Jesus from them to preach the gospel to the nations, we failed to do our job. Somebody better help me up here. I'm starting to feel like I need to drill down here a little bit because I'm getting some funny looks. Guys, do we really think that all of the sheltering and all the removal without a heart for Jesus is going to be a solution for people? Jesus, I'm not praying that they're taken out of the world. I'm praying that while they're in the world, they will engage the world and that the world will not get to them. And sad to say, in some of these environments, there's more worldliness in them than even out there in the society. I gotta tell you, friend, and when I'm out in the world, at least I know who I'm dealing with. So we should be praying for our protection. I'll just move on because this isn't going very well. Number two, <laughs> he's praying for our sanctification. He's praying for our sanctification. He's praying for our protection from the world. But how is that protection gonna come? Verse 17 says this. Look at this. they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So while I am in the culture, while I'm in the world, how am I protected from the world? The answer is I become sanctified, set apart, closer to Christ, more like Jesus. How? Through his word. So God says that I want you to be set apart, I want you to grow, I want you to be like me through the word. What is Jesus' heart for his church? What is Jesus' heart for you? That you would be closer to him and that you would be, you would be, you would be through the word of God, infiltrate, or excuse me, filled with the word of God as a barrier in your life and in your heart that will keep you actually separated. That is actually what the word sanctification really means. Sanctification means that God is cleansing you, that God is separating you from who you were before you were saved through the word, and that as the word fills you, your heart and life, you are less and less like you were and more and more like Jesus. 
Right? Now, this whole thing about getting affected and infected by what is around you came really crystal clear to me several years ago when we were traveling on a singing ensemble from the college I used to teach at. We were very excited to hear that where we were going to be staying that particular night was a house near the water somewhere in Mississippi where a family was on like a summer vacation, had a super nice house. And usually when you travel in these like singing groups or as a missionary or whatever, you end up getting put in some very, very interesting situations. I'm talking about weird stuff, okay. And, but, but there was not going to be any host. There was not going to be any people there. We were probably safe because we were just going to be in a house, evidently a nice house where people did summer vacations and all this kind of thing. I thought, oh, this is going to be great. So it was me and Angie was there and Adriana was just little. That particular year we had a mixed ensemble. So there were, there were like three girls and a couple boys uh, with us. And so we had this whole house to ourselves. We get there. Everybody's getting settled. Everybody had like their own room, which was very unusual. And it was just a really cool deal. Well, one of the girls came to us just after being there for probably not 30, 45 minutes. And she said, um, uh, Mr. Sam's. I need you to come and look at this. And so I, we went and we looked, and, and inside of her suitcase, within minutes of us being in that house, it had literally filled up with fleas. You remember this? This was unbelievable. And then everybody started checking. And, of course, every single person had a bag infested. I asked Angie, do you remember that? Are you kidding me? It was like the worst day of her life, okay? Yes, I remember that, yeah. I mean, man, we, and we didn't know what to do. We are, I mean, we are, and now, you know, everybody's freaking out. Everybody, you think you're itching. You don't know what's going on. You're, you're just completely terrified. So we called, we called the, we called the guy, the, the guy that, that put us in this house, who was the student pastor. And the only option we had that night is that all of us, me, my wife, my young daughter, all of the students had to pile into their house. And, and, and that night, nobody really slept because we were up all night, not only cleaning out our bags, but washing every single article of clothing. Everything had to be completely separated out. I mean, it was an ordeal. The only way to get rid of that was to be sanctified in that sense. We couldn't have stayed in there unprotected at all. We had to have that completely washed out, completely cleaned out, completely separated from the fleas in order for us to get our bags back to where they were supposed to be. Now, here's the real problem that I see in our church today. So many churches are leaning into the culture so much, they're like a half a step from falling in. What we need is we need to be separated in our hearts because we are being saturated in the word. This is exactly what Psalm 1 says. Blessed is a man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law does he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You are separated from the world. You are saturated in the word. And you are situated by the water. That's the way it's supposed to go. You can thrive. You can grow. You can bear fruit right in the middle of a culture if you do not let that culture get in you. And how do you do that? You've got to be in the word of God. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now let me give you a third thing here. Number three, Jesus is not only praying for our protection and for our sanctification, he's thirdly praying for our mission. Look at verse 18. 
As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they may also be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe on me through their word. You see what he's praying for there? The mission. The mission. Their witness that would have effect on the next generation and their witness. You see, what you will find, Jesus had a heavy priority on being sent. Did you see that? I'm going to send them just like you sent me. Listen, church, did you know that God only has one son and that one son became a missionary? One son, Jesus, became a missionary. He was sent. And that sent, Father sent the son to us, is a pattern for us being sent ourselves into the world to preach the gospel. Now, folks, i got to tell you, I think we're getting a little comfortable here, okay? Now, you say, you're not very comfortable. Look at what we're doing. We're, we, we sent Aaron. We sent Aaron. Good. I'm glad we sent Aaron. I'm glad Aaron's preaching the gospel in Mayport right now. We had another lady saved in Mayport last Sunday. Amen? That's great. There's a church right there right now where there wasn't a church six months ago. I'm talking about where there's almost 40 people now, where there was eight people about eight weeks ago. I'm glad for that. I'm glad for that. And I'm glad that here in three weeks, there's going to be a group of people coming onto this property three weeks from right now. I mean, three weeks from right now. Come on. Three weeks and ten minutes from right now, there's going to be Spanish speakers pouring in to an auditorium to hear the gospel. I thank God for that. But listen very carefully. I am not saying that I believe Hector and Aaron are the only missionaries to be sent out of this church. I think we should all be willing to go and all be willing to follow Christ wherever he sends us to go. Did you know this? Jesus only had one prayer request that he shared with us. Did you know that? In the whole Bible, Jesus prays a lot, but he only shared one prayer request. It's in Matthew chapter number 9, and he says this, I quote, Pray you, therefore, to the Lord of the harvest that he will send laborers into the harvest. One prayer request, and you know what it was? For you to become a missionary. I wonder how many of us are praying that over our children every single day. God, make my kids missionaries. Make my kids preachers. Make my kids uh, those that will go wherever they go to share the gospel. It's not about a vocation necessarily. It is about a commission. Uh, sometimes we get that tripped up. Sometimes we think, yeah, yeah, this guy's supposed to preach the gospel. Like you might look at me and say, yeah, you're called to preach the gospel. No, no, no. We're all called to preach the gospel. I am called to be an elder, to be a leader of a local church. That's different. We are all called to be missionaries. We are all called to preach the gospel. And this is on the heart of Christ. I'm going to send them out just like you sent me out. Finally. Jesus prays for our unity. Now, this is the bulk of verses 20 through 26. A very interesting thing that we often overlook. Look, I grew up in a culture, a church culture, not grew up in. I was trained in and and preached in for years in a church culture that, that proclaimed that our goal was really to be separatist. Look, I, I, I understand it. There are certainly things to be separated from. 
There, there, there is an unbelieving world out there. There's, there are false gospels. I know that. And where there is a false gospel, there should be a church willing to take a stand against a false gospel. Look, I'm, I'm willing to do that. I'm not afraid to do that. Look, we could have had this church building for free four, almost five years ago because an a unbelieving church board asked me to just bring our congregation over here and be their pastor, and they'd just give us the building. The only problem is they didn't believe the gospel. And I looked right at their face and said, I'm sorry, I mean, you can't even be a member of my church if you're not saved and you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've not been baptized. You can't be a member of your church and I can't be your pastor. That's a two and a half million dollar decision. I'm not afraid to stand for truth when we need to stand for truth. But folks, there has come in our world such a sectarianism over every little thing in the world that is everything but important to God and we have found ourselves in places where we are, we, are, we are disassociating ourselves from churches and brothers and preachers that are genuinely born again, genuinely believe the Bible, and it is atrocious when the main prayer of Jesus for his future disciples was this, that they would be one. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Psalm 133 and verse number 1. And notice what he says here. He says in verse number 20, uh, I do not pray for them, verse 21, uh, alone, but for all those that will believe the word, that they may be one. Watch this. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be one in us. Watch this phrase. That the world may believe that you sent me. Isn't that amazing? What does unity look like in the church Listen very carefully. It looks like the Trinity. That's what Jesus said. Just like me and you are one. God the Father and God the Son. One God expressed in, of course, the Holy Spirit. Three distinct. All fully God. Equal in power, glory, and strength. All equally God. Three distinct persons. The Trinity. Yet one. And he says... When you are together, when you are unified around this mission, you reflect that. So you give the world the right view of who God is. Did you know theologically, one thing that sets our faith apart from any other faith in the world is we believe in a triune God, a trinity God. Our God is trinity. There's no other gospel, there's no other religion that believes that. Believe that. So when we are functioning like that, we are given a reflection of the true and living God. Unity. And boy, how, more, how much more relevant could this be today in a world that is so polarized and divided about everything? I mean, it's political, it's racial, it's everything. To come into a church that fights about everything just like Fox News fights about everything... It's not going to give any opinion of who God is. But when they come into a place where the brothers and sisters can be of different races, different colors, different religious backgrounds. I mean, somebody's getting baptized today out of the Mormon church. I'm looking, at, I'm looking around this church at every skin, color, and tone there is to have in this city. And I love it. It's supposed to be this way. We're supposed to be together. We're supposed to be able to come and lay down certain things that don't matter as much. I mean, you could cheer for the Jaguars and the Chiefs and still love each other somehow.
On a more serious note, you could, you could be like really ultra conservative in certain things about what you do and how you practice certain things. And there might be somebody else that's not, and yet you found that there's a way for me to be together with this brother because we believe the gospel and Jesus is more important than all of it. Amen. That's where it really, that's where the rubber really meets the road. And you might be a committed homeschooler, but this person is a public schooler, and you're okay with that because that's not as important as the gospel. Right? And when people see this, here's the catch. The, did you know the world is not going to know us by any other way? Jesus says this about two things in the Bible. This is crazy. Two things demonstrate to the world that we are the church. Love, John 13, and unity, John 17. Two things. Those two things tell the world we are Christians. And there's nothing else Jesus says demonstrates to the world that we are Christians. I didn't say, I'm not talking about preaching the gospel. That's how they hear about Christ. I'm talking about how do they see the gospel through love and through unity. That's how they see it. So in this text, what we find is Jesus is praying for us. And Jesus is essentially, listen to this. He is essentially speaking up for us, standing in our place, getting us where we could not go on our own. He's our advocate. I experienced this in a great way. Have you ever had somebody like stand up for you and get you somewhere or get you access somewhere that you couldn't get on your own? I remember this the first time I went to Haiti. And man, when you land in a, in a, in a third world country, it just you immediately know. I mean, it's just, there's just something in the air. You land and you get off an airplane and you just immediately know, I'm not in, look, we're not in Kansas anymore. You just immediately, it's just, there's, there's a smell, there's a look, you don't feel like you're in the same place. And then, and then as soon as you start engaging people, oh my word, it becomes really clear then. And so, so when you come out, you obviously got to go through customs, and then you got to go to um, to baggage claim, and then your bags got to go through customs, and then you got to then you got to clear out of customs after all this. And so along the way, you're engaging, you're engaging uh, people, and we get in this huge line, and we are obviously not Haitian. We get through the in a huge line. I mean, there are hundreds of people, and I'm just it's crowded, it's noisy. We don't know we don't know what's going on, and all of a sudden. Pastor Casimir from Haiti walks in, and he's got two escorted military guards with him. He walks right up to me. I'm in the front of the group. And he, I mean, these guys are carrying assault rifles. They walk right up to me, and he just gives me a look, and I just start walking with him. And the people at the gate checking out passports, they didn't even look at us. We just walked right through, right on his shoulder, Right on his behalf. Why? Because he spoke up for me. They were cool with me because of him. They let me in because of him. That's what Jesus did for all of us, folks. We get to God because of him. We get to pray because of him. We get to go to heaven because of him. We're not getting on our own. We can't do this on our own. But because Jesus died for us, rose again for us, he's praying for us, we get in because of him. Amen? We get where we need to go. We can pray like we need to pray because Jesus got us in. Let's pray together if we could. He's praying for you. He's praying for you.
want to invite you to stand, if you would, for prayer this morning. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. In just a moment, you're going to see several people get baptized. In fact, if you're here for baptism, just go ahead and make your way out to the back. And our folks will meet you out there and get you to the place where you need to change. And take you to the appropriate place. We're so excited for several of these that have come for baptism today. We rejoice in salvation. We rejoice in young people and adults alike coming to faith in Christ. But you may be here and you may have never come to Christ before. You may be here and you say, man, if I died, here's a question to ask yourself. If I died, am I certain that I'm going to heaven? Am I certain? If not, can I help you with that today? Jesus can get you to God. Jesus gets you to heaven. Not church, not religion, not giving, not good works, only Jesus. He died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day for your salvation. He is the only Savior of the world. And this morning, all he asks of you is to believe that and receive him into your life. Believe him and receive him. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that today, right here, right now. If right here and right now in your heart you say, preacher, I do not know Jesus. I do not know if I'm going to heaven when I die. I don't know. I just don't know. But I want to know. If that's you, right here, right now in your seat, you can call out to Jesus. Just say something like this, dear Lord. You can say it out loud or you can say it in your heart. Just repeat it after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I cannot get to heaven on my own. But I believe in Jesus. I believe he died. I believe he rose again. And I believe he's the only way to heaven. Today, I accept him as my Savior. Thank you for loving me. Help me never to be ashamed of you. If you just prayed that prayer in your minute, and you're glad you did, I want to be the first to welcome you to the family of God. Congratulations on making the biggest decision you ever made in your life, following Jesus. I want to rejoice with you and help you in any way I can. If there's anybody in this room today that said, Preacher, I want you to know I prayed that prayer. I meant it. I'm glad I did. I just accepted Jesus into my life just now. just did that. Preacher, that's me. If that is you, would you let me know who you are right now? Just slip up your hand high enough that I can see it. Anybody like that? Preacher, that's me. I just prayed that prayer. Just meant it. I'm glad that I did. I'm thankful that God loves me and that God saved me. Just lift your hand right up and then right back down. And we will pray for you. We will pray for you. Let's go ahead and pray and close our service. Pastor Hector is going to come and give us some announcements and lead us into baptism. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that you are praying for us. Thank you that you are kind and faithful. And that you give us everything that we need in Christ. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. Would you be seated just for a moment as Pastor Hector comes?